Well, I want you to turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 6, and this is going to be the last in this first part of our Revelation series. We're going to be picking up uh, part two this fall uh, in September. But, but, but today, we're going, to be, we're going to be closing out uh, this, this part of, of the series. Now, real quick, let me just ask this question. Um, have, have any of you heard of In-N-Out Burger before? Anybody? Anybody? Oh, yeah. So, hey, did you hear they're coming to the Treasure Valley? Anybody hear that? Like, I'm excited. Oh, wow. Somebody's really excited. Okay, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. We, we all have expectations of things. And usually our expectations are formed by many different things. So like when it comes to In-N-Out Burger, for example, our expectations can be informed by hype. I love In-N-Out Burger. And so I have hyped this to uh, Tony McCrary, who's leading How Great Thou Art, Pastor Tony. And, and so a few years ago, we took a group of us to a Utah jazz game, and, and we stopped it in and out. He'd never been to one before, and we'd been talking about how awesome it was and everything. And I remember he ordered, we're all looking at him like, like heaven's getting ready to come down to earth. And, and he, he took a bite, and, and he just looked at me, he's like, I don't see what the big deal is, it's just another cheeseburger. I'm like, Heresy! Away with his head, you know, like what is up with that? But, but, but here's what happened. I mean, we had hyped it so much that he thought that this was going to be just an incredible thing. He's like, it's just another fast food cheeseburger. Now, I feel like I've had people hype Raising Cane's chicken before. I'm going to tell you, no, it is not. I'm telling you, it is. Like I, I, like, I took a bite. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is the best you've got? Like, everything on your plate is brown. It's the same color. Like, but, but no, here's the deal. So hype informs our expectations. And a lot of times, our, our expectations going in are higher than what they should be because of hype. Now, sometimes it's fear that informs our expectations. Like, like we're afraid of something. Maybe it's going to be a, an, an upcoming meeting or there's, you have to have what we call crucial conversation. And, and, and because of, of your fear of how it's going to turn out, like, like you, when you think about that meeting, you put it off and you put it off and you put it off and you put it off because like it's just, it's, it's eating you alive. Well, you know, there's some good theology and in, 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 in the, the, the good uh, TV show, Blue Bloods. Uh, not really, but there, there's a line in there where one of the guys, he said, you know, he said, the next conversation you should be having is a conversation you keep putting off. And it's true, but the reason we put it off is because our expectations are informed by fear. Now, there are other times that our expectations are informed by assumption. We assume something. So, for example... Pastor Matt went on a uh, missions trip many years ago to Haiti and uh, personally had a terrible experience. The trip included uh, sickness. It included like weird things that like it was, uh, you know, he, it traumatized him. He, did, he, he like was mute for like three weeks when he came back. Not really, but I mean, it, it traumatized him. And so, you know, we have our missions team that's leaving for Kenya on Wednesday to so be praying for them. But I tried to get Matt to go on this trip. And he's like, oh, no, no. I am never leaving again. He said, I went on a missions trip. I'm like, you went on a, on a bad missions trip. You need to actually experience it. Like, I am not getting on that plane. It's not going to happen. Well, he has these assumptions that all missions trips are the same. They're not. But I think the best way for our expectations to be informed is by someone 
who's actually already been to a place that we're going. That's why we have cancer support groups. It's nice to have somebody that can speak to what you're going to go through. They've already been there. It's why when I came here as pastor, I called my pastor, the pastor of me growing up, another pastor said, I don't even know what to expect. What's this look like? You know what? And, and they, they prepared me. As we jump into Revelation chapter six, what, what is happening here is that Jesus is informing the expectations of his bride, the church, as to what is to come. And, and he, he wants us to understand because it's so important. Our expectations matter because our expectations will impact our preparation, how we prepare for what is to come. And so Jesus does not want his bride, the church, to be left hanging here. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that, that what we're getting into today is there's, there's going to be some disturbing elements to this. You know, we left off last week, Rome, uh, Revelation 4, Revelation 5, we left off with the thunderous applause of heaven as the, the living creatures and, and the elders are throwing the crowns at, the, at the, the, the feet of the throne, the throne occupied by the lamb, and they're, they're saying, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb. And part of the reason at the end of Revelation 5 they're saying this is because when John looked around and didn't see anyone worthy to open this scroll that, that, are, that really are detailing God's righteous decrees for what is to come, Jesus stepped forward and, and he was the one who was worthy. And so heaven is, is applauding this. But as we get into Revelation chapter 6, Jesus the Lamb begins to open the scroll and there are seven seals that he breaks and, and what we're going to see is as he breaks these seals, what is taking place, it's ushering in God's strategic plan for judgment on the earth. Now, there is a phrase that shows up time and time again in the Old Testament. The prophets speak to this uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, I think Ezekiel speaks to this. I know many of the minor prophets use this phrase. It's called the day of the Lord. Anybody ever heard of that, that phrase? The day of the Lord. It's, it's signifying a time in which God is going to actively intervene in human history by bringing this climactic judgment on the world. Now, you've probably, how, how many of you have, I know I'm asking a lot of questions, but I want to know who I'm talking to. How many of you have, have heard someone use the phrase, well, we're living in the last days? Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever heard that? You know how long that phrase has been around? <laughs> 2,000 years. 2,000 years. And, and the reason why I say it's been around for, for 2,000 years is because, uh, actually probably longer, but, but when it came to actually ushering in the, the, the last days, Today is, is a religious holy day. It's called uh, the Day of Pentecost. And the Day of Pentecost, uh, the, you can read where, everything, where it came from in the Old Testament, but today we celebrate the Day of Pentecost, remembering what took place 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, in which he, he, he ascended to heaven and then he told the disciples, he said, pray, because he said, when the Holy Spirit shows up, you're going to be my witnesses. 
And, and so they went back and they prayed uh, for 10 days. There were 120 people gathered together uh, praying on the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit fell in power on these believers. And they began to witness as to the fact that Jesus Christ truly was the Messiah. He was the Savior. He was, he was, he was Lord. And everybody that was there, it was, it was a holy, it was a feast day. And people had come in from all over the place. They were speaking different languages, but all of them could understand what was being proclaimed because of the Holy Spirit. And so really what happened was the church was launched this day. And so Peter, a guy who just a few days before had, had actively denied Jesus Christ three times, he has been restored. He preaches the first message under the inspiration and anointing of the Holy Spirit. And at the end of the message, man, there are people like, how, how can we be saved? And nearly 3,000 people were saved in one day. Is that awesome or what? But what he says at the beginning of his message is, is this. He, he goes back to the prophet Joel. He quotes the prophet Joel. And, and, and what he says in Acts 2.17 is he makes the claim that, that this move of the Holy Spirit that they're seeing is the ushering in of the last days that Joel was talking about. And so I don't, I don't want you to miss that what you've heard all these years. In fact, this is my big point. I want you to write this down. It's very simple. And we're going to talk about this. It is true. We are living in the last days. We are living in the last days, a time that was ushered in when Jesus ascended to heaven and he took his place on the throne. Now, what we're going to see in Revelation 6 and 7, and then as we keep on going through Revelation, is that there is an already not yet aspect to what is being revealed for instance, Jesus wrote to the, the, the seven churches in, in Revelation 2 and 3 and made it clear that, that they, were, they were going to endure suffering, that suffering was coming. And by the way, again, he was not writing to seven future churches. He was writing to seven historical, real churches. And so there was some aspect to the, the last days beginning, but there is, an, there is a yet to come aspect to this in which we're gonna see some of these things unveiled and we're gonna talk more about this. But what, Je what Jesus is doing in allowing John to see what he's going to see is he is informing not just John's expectations, but because John is going to deliver this message to seven churches and now it's lasted to where we're reading, he's informing our expectations of how to prepare for what is yet to come. Now, I want you to, to double check what I'm, what I'm saying this morning. So I want you to write, like if you're taking notes in the margin uh, or somewhere on there, I want you to write down these, these, uh, some scripture references. The first one I want you to write down is Ezekiel 14, verses 12 through 21. And I want you to write down Matthew 24, 6 through 28. So there's Ezekiel 14, 12 through 21, and Matthew 24, 6 through 28, because what, what Jesus is allowing John to see is actually what Ezekiel saw. He, he writes about these judgments. It's what uh, Jesus himself prophesied about in Matthew 24. But, but there's, this, there's this unleashing, these, these calamities are gonna come out. And, and it's not, I do, and when I use the word I believe, you gotta know that you, I'm fallible, okay? I'm not infallible. So when I say I believe, this is just key sake. You can double check me on this. But I believe that, that what we're going to read about, they're not going to happen in chronological order. 
Because what Jesus, what, what Jesus has showed us in Matthew 24 is that these are gonna actually be happen. There's gonna be overlap. There's gonna be different elements to this that, that, that are happening. And so, so I, I just, I, I wanna make sure we get this, but as I'm talking about some of the symbolism that's here, I wanna explain that to make some things clear. But again, I don't wanna get caught in the weeds. I don't want us to miss what Jesus is, is wanting us to understand. He's preparing his church for what is to come. We are living in the last days and Jesus wants his, his bride, the church, to know what to expect. And first of all, he wants us to expect to encounter deception. Expect to encounter deception. Let's, let's pick up our reading in verse one of chapter six. Now I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked, and, and behold, a white horse, and the rider had a, a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Now, now the first four seals, I'm going I'm to hit them here at the beginning, and each of those first seals are going to uh, be symbolized by a, a horse and a rider coming out. And by the way, again, another passage to write down and write horse beyond that, so you, uh, beside it, so you can check, check me out. Zechariah 6, look at Zechariah 6, 1 through 8, because this is syncing up. Up with Revelation 6, because Zechariah had this vision of four, uh, four horses of different colors. They're actually really almost identical, uh, identical to what we're seeing in Revelation. They are commissioned by God to patrol the earth, to punish the nations on the earth who have oppressed the people of God. So they are coming to execute judgment. And so the, this four, first is a, it's a white horse. And so let me just ask you this. I mean, when... You have watched a Western. What kind of horse and what color of hat does the good guy wear? White. He's always wearing a white, uh, white hat. He's riding a white horse. You always know who the good guy's going to be. Bad guy, he's riding a what kind of horse? Oh, man. It's like, it's like so, so easy. You don't even have to think. Like, this is the guy I should be cheering for. This is the guy that I'm going to be jeering. Like, like you know, you, you, got, you got this. Now, some of you might, you know, be tempted to say, well, you know, this first rider, maybe this is Jesus. But, but no, because you know, well, Jesus rides a horse. Yeah, Revelation 19, he rides a horse. But Jesus doesn't look anything like this. I mean, he, he's, he's coming out. You can c contrast Jesus riding a horse in, in Revelation 19 with this rider. But it's interesting, this writer, though, will appear, will have the uh, appearance of being, of having Messiah-like qualities. He's, he, he shows up to conquer. He shows up conquering. But it's not Jesus. It's actually symbolic of deceivers that people are going to put their, their faith in. And so there are two options as to who this could be. It could be the Antichrist. Uh, or it could be like it could be symbolic of, uh, and we're going to talk about the Antichrist, uh, a specific Antichrist uh, later in, in Revelation. It's not it's not King Charles, if that's who you think it is. It's not. My grandma thinks it is, but it's not. Um, but uh, but we're also going to be talking about the small a Antichrist that John refers to in First John two eighteen. We don't. I don't know for sure, but what we do know, it's a symbolic. Of, of people who are coming or who have come throughout history to deceive because the term antichrist means either against Christ or in the place of Christ. 
And, and, and so we're gonna get, get into this later, but the big A Antichrist is, is a figure who is, who is empowered by Satan, who's gonna function as an enemy uh, of, of Christ, but also an enemy of the church. But here's the crazy thing. What we're gonna see is that even people who are part of the church are gonna get swayed and they're gonna want to chase after because like, well, he's doing miracles. But surely if he's doing miracles, then this, this has to be Jesus. Oh, he's doing some good things. He's bringing about peace. Here's, here's the reason why people are gonna be sucked in. It's because we are desperately looking for people to fix problems we have. That's why we vote for certain people. We're con- like, like, like some of us are convinced that a certain candidate is the candidate. They're gonna usher in. Man, we, we need this person in power. Now, don't get me wrong. We should vote for people. There is good and, and uh, worse. There's better, and, uh, you know, there's better and worse when it comes to voting. Okay, I, I get that. But here's the deal. Anytime we begin to put our confidence in someone to usher in what only Jesus Christ can usher in, we are being deceived. And can I tell you that, that the Jews were so bought into power because they'd been oppressed and marginalized for so many years. Even as, as Jesus is sitting back to heaven, one of the last questions his disciples ask, who know him, he's told them what's going on. They're like, uh, is it now that we're, you're gonna usher in the kingdom? Like they're still waiting for a political turnover. A lot of us are more passionate about a political turnover than we are Jesus Christ coming in. So that's why we're gonna be easily swayed. If somebody can just fix inflation, like, hello. Man, uh, the other night, like Lori and I, on, like on Wednesday nights, we, that's our date night, we'll go out. And so Wednesday, you know, I'll usually ask her where she wants to go and she'll say, just go wherever you wanna go. And so Wednesday night, I said, hey, where do you wanna go? And, she, and this time she actually said, you know what? You haven't taken me pl- anywhere expensive lately. Why don't you just take me somewhere nice? Take me someplace expensive. So I took her to a gas station and... Uh, <laughs> Hey, I lied. I just made that up. I like, I, I've been just setting that up. I'm like, let's do it. I'm going to try that. No, I totally made that up. I told that in the first service and she sent me like, where are you going with this? But no, the reality is, man, we got some, some crazy inflation, gas prices. You go, anybody been uh, grocery shopping lately? Hello. Like it, t- it costs six bucks for a, a small bag of Doritos. Like, I, like what is going on? And, and so if somebody comes in and, and, and fixes that, we're like, yeah, I'm following that guy. Somebody comes in and, and, and brings peace. Like I'm following that guy. Look at the good they're doing. This has to be of God. Not everything is of God. And there's gonna be a time in which the church will be deceived. They're gonna follow after what's gonna keep them fat, sassy, and comfortable rather than following truth. And the reason we're gonna be deceived, that the many will be deceived is because the Antichrist is gonna have some qualities that we think Jesus Christ should have. They're qualities that make us feel better about ourselves. Guys, Jesus wants us to know that there is going to be a time of deception. Prepare for deception. But he also informs our expectations in which he, he, he tells us to inspect inf- wars, inflation, and epidemics. Verse three, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come, and there came out another horse bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. 
And I believe that the reason why this is a red horse is to is symbolic of, of just the blood, the blood of people killing each other. And guys, man, this is happening now. Like, like this week, if you're following local news right here in our great state of Idaho, like we've been getting the updates on the Lori Vallow trial, right? You know, she's this lady killing her kids. Uh, we, we have, uh, you know, updates on, on the, the uh, trial for the guy that's accused of murdering the four stu- students at the University of Idaho. Like this is right here in Idaho, like quiet little, Idaho. No, like violence is happening in, in our communities. You know, the, the, the police officer that was, that was killed not too long ago, like this is right here in our, in, in, in Canyon County, right here in our, our backyard. It's not just happening out there. It's, it's actually happening here. Jesus tells us, man, expect that these are things that are happening in the last days. Did you know that since World War II, the end of World War II, uh, we've exactly had three days of peace where there wasn't a, one country attacking another country. Three days since 1945. There's this website I came across. Uh, you can ask me for it after service if you want to check it out for your, yourself. But, uh, but it actually tracks the violence that is happening here in our nation on a weekly basis. So I, I looked up for, this is, this is what happened last week uh, uh, I, I say in our nation, it's around the world. Here's, here's what happened uh, last week around the world. There were 487 battles, 990 bombings, 478 attacks against innocent civilians, 188 accounts of mob violence, 2,300 protests, and 87 violent demonstrations. That was last week in our world. And, and like we hear the big ones, but, this, but, but what Jesus is telling us, it's happening that was the second seal. Then he opens the, the third seal and, and, and I heard the living creature say, come, and I looked and behold a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a, for a denarius and, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come, and I looked and behold a pale horse and its writer's name was Death, and Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beast of the earth. Now, I want you to listen to something. Remember, Zechariah 6 gives us context for what's going on here. And Zechariah makes it very clear that these horses, these horsemen, they are executing judgment on those who have, opp- who have oppressed the people of God. I want to be very clear that we understand what, what's going on here? And what he's saying is, as we're opening this, you know, not only are we seeing inflation, in, in the last days, this is going to be a, a, a common thing in which a daily wage is not going to go very far in, in buying food. In fact, the, the, the image of the scales, like what's that for? That's symbolic. Uh, it's an ancient symbol for a time of famine because they would use scales to measure out how much food people were allowed to have. And what they're talking about is that, or what is being symbolized here, I believe, is when he just says that there's gonna be famine, there's gonna be epidemics, this pestilence. Anybody, we've had some epidemics. Um, there, there are things that are coming down the pike, and, and you know, even though we, uh, we talk about inflation, the reality is, um, if we're hungry, 
Not only can we go buy something, even if we don't have resources, like for instance, here in our, uh, here in our valley, we have some incredible food banks that are going on. My buddy Dan Manjack and his church run, uh, lead the good, they have the good news food pantry. We've got uh, Tony and the great team at the Nampa Care House that are doing great work. Like there are places that you can go to get food. In fact, there have been times that, that these food pantries have reached out. They said, we have so much food and no, people aren't showing up to take it. And, and, and the reality is, uh, it's, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it is rare that we see starvation and that sort of thing right here in our community because of how, you know, how easily uh, accessible things are. But guys, like we're going to, I'm, I'm leaving for Kenya tomorrow. I'm, pre, I'm speaking at a pastor's conference for the first couple days. Then our team leaves on Wednesday. They're gonna show up. And um, man, it's, it's gonna be a wake-up call. And, and while it's for sure our, our, the, the kids that attend the school that we started in, in, uh, at Quorum Deo, there's about 500 or so students there, and then about 150 or 200 at the high school that we built that launched in January. Um, they, there are times that they go without food. It's nothing compared to what's taking place in Northwest Kenya. When, when our group was there last October, um, we were just talking about the different challenges they were facing. And, and Mary told us, Mary Kamal was telling us about what takes place in Northwest. It's, it's a place where, man, tribes have lived literally for centuries. It's their, their, their land. They won't leave. This is our land. And they have superstition as to why they need to stay here, why it's their land. But they haven't received rain for over five years. And as a result, man, there's just, there's a lack of food. And, and so uh, Missions of Hope International started schools there uh, several years ago. And Mary said, she said, our biggest challenge is like when we take a break from school, we feed our kids two meals a day. We make sure that they have food. She said, when, when our workers aren't there, many of them eat very little and they come back with distended bellies and the things that you see, like this is real. And man, as she shared this, like our team wept because we are, we're so blessed and we don't think about this. And yet this is happening to real people. And we complain about the fact that they didn't get our, you know, low fast soy milk macchiato out to us when we want it. And yet there are people that are dying of starvation and the reality is this, Jesus says, I want you to know that this is part of the ushering in. And guys, I, I think it's very easy for, for uh, certain people and activists to try to shame anybody that, that has money and tries to make us feel guilty for having a car or a house or whatever. I, 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 think, I don't think that, I, I think that's stupid. However, what I would say is First of all, we should appreciate any blessing that God has given us. Secondly, I do think that we have a responsibility to care for our brothers and sisters who are hurting and um, finding a way to be part of that, to not just pray, but man, be part of the solution. I think we have that opportunity. But what Jesus is saying is, and this is just part of what to expect, wars, inflation, Famine, pestilence, all this sort of thing. Then we get to the fifth seal. 
And I think it's good for us to understand that as these seals are being broken, that what is happening here is not just random violence or random events, but there are events and man, there's desperation and there's pain and suffering. But please understand, as hard as it is for us to grasp this at times, there is nothing that is outside of God's control. What I mean by, and this is hard, where we, we say, well, if God could control it, why wouldn't he do this? Why wouldn't God just step in and, and have world peace? And why wouldn't he do this? Well, there's coming a day when that's going to happen. However, there are things that we cannot see that God is doing. And part of walking by faith is not that we walk blindly, but it's that we walk with the light we have, trusting that God is good and he is great, and trusting his sovereign goodness, even when we don't understand how those things pour out. I've stopped trying to give, and I don't know that I ever did it, but I, I definitely don't give platitudes to the people that are walking through tragedy. I, don't, I can't tell, I can never answer that question why. I, I don't know, and like, like for us to say, well, you know, the reason, you know, that you lost your baby is that God wanted another angel. That's a stupid thing to say. And I'm sorry if I just offended someone that you said that, just, this probably, you probably need to come forward and pray. That was good, that was good. You need to never say it again. You know what I'm saying? I think we say things and we're trying to help, but, but the reality is we don't know. But, but what, what we don't Man, I, I, heard, uh, I heard that when Greg Laurie lost his son to an accident, he was killed. Uh, Pastor Chuck Smith, as, as Greg is grieving and wondering if he should stay in ministry, Chuck told him, he said, man, in the season of grieving and loss, don't trade what you do know about, about God for what you don't know. And that's what we do in these times. We walk forward trusting that God's in control. But there's a fifth seal that's open as we keep reading here, and this is unique. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who'd been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And so real quick, this, this heavenly altar here, I, I believe is equated with the throne or presence of God because of how it shows up in other places in the Old Testament and in other places in the New Testament. And the fact that these saints are, are under the altar, I believe, is emphasizing how God has protected their souls even when, as he, as he told them it was gonna happen, the church in Smyrna in Revelation 2, even when they're persecuted to the point of death. They're, 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 uh, he, he sees them under the throne, verse 10. They, they're crying out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and, and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And we're gonna get into that as we pick up the series in, uh, in this fall as we look at Revelation 7. But again, Jesus is informing our expectations. And, and, and what he wants his church to understand is this, that we should expect opposition, even persecution. We, could, we should expect opposition, even persecution. And listen, we haven't seen, we see some things here like, uh, you know, there, there, sometimes there's a, um, uh, you know, uh, mainstream media uh, 
is not at all in favor of Christianity and all that sort of thing. We see other things taking place, uh, you know, in this in this uh, crazy cancel culture and everything else. If you don't if you don't buy into to conventional wisdom and what everybody else says that here's what you gotta here's what you gotta hold to. It's so interesting how it's like we should be accepting of everybody, but if you're if you're a Christian, well, we can't be accepting of you. It's just. It's just the reality of this. And it's not, I'm not saying this like a poor me thing. I'm just saying, expect opposition. Don't be surprised when it, when it happens. But guys, around the world, they're, they're, today, there are over 100 million Christians, from what I understand from Voices of Martyrs, 100, 100 million Christians in 65 different countries who are having their basic human rights uh, violated because of the fact that they have gone on record and been baptized as Christians. They, some of them don't have access to food. They don't have access to housing. In fact, Brother Benny, who's part of Alpha Ministries that we support in India, man, if, I don't know if you followed this, but over the, because media will not talk about this, but in India, there is a massive crackdown on Christianity. And, and, and so pastors, I, I had the chance to, to share a word with pastors, which was maybe the most humbling thing because these pastors know that as they're going into ministry, that they are going to pay a price for the fact that they are pastors, Christian pastors. If you, if you proselytize, if you evangelize, dude, you're arrested. In fact, just a couple weeks ago, he texted me and there are, there are pastors who have been evicted from their homes. They've been arrested. They're being beat. And some of them are facing execution because of their faith in Jesus Christ. That's happening right now. And, 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 what, what, what Jesus is wanting us to, to understand is that there are going to be times of opposition. And so when this, when this group, is, the, the, these saints are, are crying out, what, what, what they're crying out is, is, is very interesting. Because they're not merely crying out for just revenge. They're, they're, they're crying out that the justice of God be put on full display. Where, where the world can see, God, you are just. And so what Jesus does is he includes this. He wants us to, to, to expect God's justice. He wants to expect that God is going to show up. That, that the God to whom these, these persecuted Christians are praying to, they're praying to a God who's sovereign over the suffering death, sovereign over heaven and earth, sovereign over time and eternity. He's a God who is holy and true, great and good. They're praying to a God whose holiness demands that evil be punished and a God who's gonna be true to his promise to do so. But they're not praying, hey, avenge me. They're saying, let your justice be seen. And they're crying out, how long? And the response they get is probably not the response they want to hear. Hold on a little longer. I read that this week and I was thinking about any road trip I've ever taken with my kids. It's like, we're almost there. Huh? We'll be in a little bit longer. I mean, we might have seven hours left to go, but I'm still saying we're almost there. You know what I'm saying? But he's saying, hold on a little longer. And, and like we hear that and we're like, why God? Just do something. Do you know why God delays his day of wrath? He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It says that his hesitation has everything to do. His mercy, not giving People, what they deserve has everything to do with his love, for, with his grace, 
so that those who are even persecuting can turn, can be saved. There's coming a day. But that, that waiting for the day has everything to do not with God's weakness or anything other than his grace and him giving you, if you're here today and you're not following Jesus Christ, giving you an opportunity to repent and come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Amen. Oh, but there's coming a day where we can expect his judgment we can be assured that there is a day of judgment. And I've heard like people that are like, man, this freaks me out. This kind of scares me. It shouldn't. The, the, the day of justice where, where the day of the Lord happens, man, honestly, that is where God is going to take what we see where it seems like the evil are winning and he's gonna turn it upside down. The day in which we seem like, like the, those who are in power are, are corrupt, they're evil. They, that while we see the, the oppression and the injustice, he's turning it upside down and once and for all, he's gonna show that he is Lord. Again, when Revelation 19, you see Jesus coming out, he's coming with a sword. He's got a tattoo and he's ready to make war. And it's not gonna be a pretty thing for those who don't love him. I'm just telling you. And so what we see is as we get to the sixth seal, and this is where we're going to stop. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And what you're reading here is, is symbolic. In fact, it's the same. he's using the same imagery that Isaiah used, that Ezekiel used, that Joel used, that Jesus used when, when he talked about this. And, and what, what it's symbolizing, it's, it's, it's symbolizing that, that this is what those who under the altar have been praying for this is what the prophets talked about. This is the day of the Lord. Judgment has showed up. And when it shows up, it's gonna be as if the lights were turned off because, because the day has come. And what, what, the, way, the reason it's written this way is because, and, and, and the, I believe the, the, the reason why we're able to see it symbolized this way is, is Man, Jesus wants us to feel the full weight of what is going to happen. This will be, for those who don't know Christ, a terrifying day. Like I remember, I, I was like 13 and went over to a friend's house and watched a Freddy Krueger movie, one of those Friday the 13th movies, and I did not sleep for seven days. I like, like I was just wired, like wired. Freaked me out. But that's nothing compared to this. And what we read as we keep going through verse 15, on that day then the kings of the earth, the great ones, the generals, the rich, the powerful, everyone, slave and free, they hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who's seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of the wrath has come and who can stand? What we see is when that day comes, Unbelievers aren't going to be able to hide from God. They're not going to be able to deny or stand against God. God's perfect, holy justice will be on display for all to see. And listen, I, like, I, I would be a terrible, terrible person. And I would not be fulfilling my role as pastor if I did not say to those of you that are here, that you, 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 you mock at the things of God. You callously 
rebel. You, like, like you, you do not believe this. Like, if I believe this to be true, I have to tell you, I want to tell you, I'm compelled to tell you that there is a great day coming. This is no walk in the park. You're not gonna have this opportunity. Oh, I'll tell God a thing or two. No, you won't. You're gonna be praying for rocks to fall on you. The sheer terror of this will break you. And you're like, man, this freaks me out. Christians, don't be afraid. Because you know what? You don't have to fear. You don't have to fear this final judgment. You don't have to fear this come to you. God is going, we're going to see this. God is going to seal and protect his people in the day of the Lord. Not only is he going to protect them in, in a time of final judgment, he's going to protect us and provide for us and be there for us all through eternity. What we're going to see as we continue this series in Revelation, uh, at the end of Revelation, is that there's coming a day where God is literally going to, going to take away the, the, the pain of the past. We're going to have perspective. It says that, that he, he's not going to make this impersonal declaration. I want all tears to be gone. Nobody's able to cry. No, it says that he is going to wipe away each tear. Can you imagine that? God is going to wipe away tears. Your tears, my tears. There's coming a day, man, when all will be made right. We're going to be safely home. And you're like, okay, so what, what do we do until then? We live obediently. Not fear. Not, not, not in a, uh, this fear base, oh, Man, I, I, I got you know I got to pray right before I go to bed. Oh God, please, please, I don't want to go through this. No, you've been forgiven. You have confidence. You've been sealed. God has, if He has saved you, you are His. We should walk carefully. In fact, in I'll leave you with this: in First Thessalonians chapter five, the Apostle Paul writing. Uh, in fact, you can write this down. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 11. It's actually the best, it's just, some, it's just a, a game plan for how to live uh, in these last days. He writes in verse two, he said, you're, you're fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. But when it shows up, when it shows up, he gives us, uh, I, he, he gives us perspective and direction on what we should do. Verse six, he said, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. First of all, he says, wake up. Don't, don't, don't be just so caught up with this world that you're asleep and, and you're just unaware of the fact that there is a day of the Lord coming. Wake up. Live fully awake. He says, sober up. Verse eight, he says, don't, don't go around like a drunk person, intoxicated with pleasure. Now, he doesn't use it. I'm just, I'm using this. Uh, intoxicated with pleasure, intoxicated with power, intoxicated with all the things of this world. He says, sober up, wake up, sober up. But then he says in verse eight, he said, put on the, uh, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for uh, the helmet, the day of salvation, he says, suit up. In fact, we're going into a new series called Battle Ready beginning next week. And, and we're gonna talk about spiritual warfare and, and what it means to suit up and be ready. We're literally gonna look at what, what's this mean. So he says, wake up, sober up. 
He says, suit up. But then he gives us this great hope in verse nine, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So he says, wake up, sober up, suit up, now build up. Remind one another that no matter what you see, what we see is not the rest of the story. God is large and in charge. Jesus, our conquering king, is coming. Until then, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Some of you have maybe seen this YouTube video. It's one half of the, the, the show that used to be in Las Vegas, Penn and Teller. And Penn, who's an atheist, it's on YouTube. Look it up. I, I believe he's an atheist. I think he says that. But he talks about on his video blog that a guy met him at the end of a show, gave him a Gideon Bible. It was very complimentary, but then shared his faith with him and urged him to respond to the gospel. And instead of being offended, he, he said, that's one of the, in, in essence, that's one of the most impressive things that I've ever seen. He said, I don't believe this is true. But then he said this, and I quote, he said, how much do you have to hate someone to not proselytize? He said, how much do you have to hate someone if you believe there is a heaven and a hell to not talk about it? And I thought, man, this is an atheist preaching a message. <laughs> and so I would say this, not only should we wake up, sober up, uh, let's see, what am I missing? Uh, suit up and build up. Guys, I think it's time for the church to speak up. I think it's time for us to not be fearful who we're going to offend. Now, listen, don't, don't speak up offensively being a jerk about it. Man, but, but motivated by love, we speak the truth in love. Let's share the reality. There is coming a day of judgment. But don't just speak of the day of judgment. We don't have to motivate them by fear. We motivate them by the truth and the power of the incredible gospel that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. That's what we do. This is what we share. And so church, instead of walking away fearful as to what has come, we can walk away motivated because God has given us an opportunity, even in these days, to magnify and glorify him and to be part of his plan for reaching the world. And so God, as we close this time, I wanna thank you for what you have done in this series so far. And I look forward to what's gonna happen as we pick it up in the fall. But God, I pray that you would work in our church. Your God, would you change our hearts? Your God, if there are those who do not know you, may this be that day of salvation in which the, the, you open up their eyes to their need. Dear God, may they understand that salvation comes by trusting in what Christ did on the cross. Not that they're good enough, but believing that what Christ did was enough to save them and would you change their lives but God I pray that you would also change your people that we would proclaim your excellencies the incredible glory of the gospel and our God while there's a sobering aspect to the day of judgment that is coming that we also couple that with the hope that is ours thanks to Christ's work so God for what you're going to do in this church even as I'm gone on sabbatical the growth is going to happen here for how you're going to to do mighty things this summer we thank you for this and we pray this in Jesus strong name and all God's people said Amen. Don't forget, stop by graduates, next steps wall, pick up some great uh, kids merch for parents. You're dismissed. Have a great day.